I'm not exactly thrilled about this new phase of his. Well, I think you underestimate him. That kid knows what he wants. No, he doesn't. Is it true? That you knock someone out? Please wake up. Please. Think about it. No one saw it. No one's going to believe you, even if you do tell them. People are just going to call you a liar. But you could tell them I'm not. Yeah, I could, but then they just say I'm protecting you. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Move Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 266. Releasing in Australian cinemas today, the 5th of December, is Kairos, an independent drama that stars Chris Bunton as Danny, a high-achieving gym- gymnast who wants to transition to boxing. Danny also happens to have Down Syndrome, a condition that he will not allow to restrict his life no matter the consequences. A drama about identity, manhood and ego, Kairos is also a rare film that features characters and actors with Down Syndrome in key roles. Joining me now to talk about Kairos is the film's writer and director, Paul Barakat. Paul, I thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Well, look, today is the release date, and this is a movie um, that, from conception to now, is, is what, three years in the making? Um, so how does it feel? Uh, more, maybe? Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot more for me. Uh, Production-wise, yeah, about three, but um, from the time I started developing, it's... Uh, it's probably moving on to about five and a bit now. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I guess, like, like you have shown the film at festivals, um, both here and abroad, but today the wider public finally gets to see it. What's that feeling like that now, after all this time, your movie's out there? Oh, it's absolutely amazing. Um, as an independent filmmaker working in this country, uh, well, I guess working in the industry in general, to, to have the film you know, have a cinema release, which um, is it's just like a bit of a miracle. Uh, I mean, I know I'm, I'm, I see a lot of films these days streaming, and uh, so for us to get to get a cinema release in Australia was, um, was a pretty uh, amazing achievement that we're really proud of. When, yeah. I, when I talk to filmmakers and they tell me about the inspirations behind the films, there's so many different, different stories um, in different, you know, things that happened in their life. With, with yourself, in regard to the origin of this movie, um, it has to do with a specific memory you had as a child. Could you share that memory with our listeners? Yes. Um, so when I, was, um, when I was eight years old, my um, parents, in their uh, infinite wisdom, <laughs> decided, to take, decided to take us to Lebanon, which was at the, the height of a, of a civil war. And um, the reason is that they wanted us to, well, you know, Dad had never been there. And it was just kind of like, let's go and, 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 and sort of see the family, see the, see the, see the family, we, which we've never met. Um, and it was an amazing experience for, in more ways than one. Um, and while I was there, I met a cousin um, who had um, suffered uh, brain damage when she uh, had a childhood accident. So she was quite a lot older than me at the time, um, but um, had, had you know, sustained this, um, this uh, brain damage as a result of that accident. And, uh, well, she was just trying to play with us, basically, just trying to play with the kids. And I noticed the atmosphere around us changed dramatically. Yeah. And uh, and the adults and the community in general, there was this sort of, um, I don't know, a kind of a fear, um, you know, you could you could say. And I think that's 
that that's a, a feeling that um, and a memory that has, has troubled me for a long time since that that moment. And I noticed the 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 behaviour of adults around people with intellectual disabilities to be quite similar everywhere I went because um, we travelled to America after that, and I kind of saw her a few times there. And then again in Australia, um, growing up, I noticed it quite often as well. Um, people would just sort of uh, they didn't know how to how to communicate or how to handle people, uh, you know, how to, how to handle a conversation or, or talk to someone with uh, intellectual disability. So um, I guess I've tried to explore that on some level in my work in the past uh, through short films and whatnot, um, but nothing as successfully as this particular film um, where I said, you know, I've, I've noticed that there's been a huge lack of meaningful representation for people with intellectual disabilities in the media. And I just wanted to, to try and change that, I guess. In regards to Kairos, how does that memory transition to the story we people are going to see on screen uh, today and onwards? Does it have to do? Are you tapping into the fear aspect of it? Are you tapping into the, um, the disability aspect? Is it all of it put together? What what exactly are you taking from that memory from that memory and applying to your story? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, it probably more or less relates to the character of John, uh, played by wonderfully by Jerome Pride. Yep. Um, he, he, I don't want to spoil anything, but he kind of recounts a memory that's very similar to my childhood memory and um, uh, in, in a different way, obviously dramatised. But um, it, it, that's kind of the, the catalyst for him, you know, taking Danny under his wing in a way um, and trying to, I guess, reconcile his, you know, his memories from the past. And, 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 and you know, because what I've noticed is, you know, for me, I think the catalyst from that memory is that a lot of people with intellectual disabilities are voiceless. They're kind of put away or hidden away from society, uh, from the mainstream. And and I just noticed that sort of uh, relationship that people had over there uh, to, to, to my cousin. I, I wanted to make sure that um, we give them a voice. So in a way, it's kind of giving my my cousin uh, you know a voice and giving you know uh, people with intellectual disabilities uh, a voice on screen and, and and meaningful representation yeah the film is self-funded and it's very much a family affair um your wife carla and your brother jonathan the producers the decision to go your own way i actually talk to a lot of aussie independent filmmakers and i find that a lot of them actually do that they self um, distribute it could be from they couldn't get funding from the government bodies or that they didn't want it in the first place, perhaps, as well. In regards to yourself, poor self-funding the film, is that something that you wanted to make sure that you had control over and didn't want to be, say, uh, uh, whim to any type of government body or, or such in regards to this story? Look, I don't think that was initially a conscious decision. I, I um, had, you know, a lot of experience through doing shorts and stuff like that over the years and i felt like well let's go down that traditional route first and see what's possible um but we noticed you know that if you didn't have a, an experienced executive producer with like three credits and, and all these other things uh all these other boxes we had to tick there was just no way we were going to get past that first uh stage and i actually made some inquiries and phone calls and just kind of advised that, you know, it, we, our, our chances were slim if we didn't have, uh, you know, a reputable producer on board. Um, and I kind of thought, well, you know, even then trying to get a reputable producer on board when you have a main character that has Down syndrome in mm -hmm. your film mm -hmm. is not an easy task as well. So, we, you know, they, they 
you know, they start saying, well, it's not commercial, it's not going to sell. And I just, I was just getting frustrated. And my wife and I just said, you know what, let's just put our money where our mouths are and, and make this thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad we went that route. Um, but it, it wasn't in any sort of defiance. It was just more like, well, we have no other option. And, um, and I wasn't going to wait around seven years before I got this film off the ground. So I just said, let's just do it. <laughs> and, um, and I'm glad we did. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we kind of, you know, went for it. Um, and it definitely allowed us to have a lot more control over the story because this is a, a rather confronting film in parts and a challenging film that I think, you know, I, I fear sometimes some of these stories tend to get sanitized when they go through the kind of rewriting process and stuff mm-hmm. and homogenized. And with a clear directive I was getting from particularly, you know, the parents I was dealing with in the community was do not patron, do not patronize our, our, our son, you know, like, let, make sure that you give him this meaningful, you know, three dimensional role that, you know, we'll, we'll test him as an actor. He's an actor after all. And I'm so glad I went that way. Uh, and just, we, we went for it. You know, we didn't hold back in that, in that sense. And Chris and the, and the cast, they loved doing those scenes. They loved challenging themselves and, and each other. And um, I, I, I fear that going through a more traditional route might not have allowed us to, to explore it that, that fully. Yeah. You also used um, crowdfunding. And again, talking to different filmmakers, there's been mixed stories in regards to that. The cool thing with, with your production, though, is that you actually had a real big story on the project like a year ago. Um, and you yeah. had a chance yeah. to actually talk about the crowdfunding and the movie and Chris and all these different things. So one, when, when that happens, what kind of impact does that have on your production? All of a sudden, are you getting more calls and more people more interested? Does the crowdfunding increase quite a bit? I mean, what's the impact um, of a story like that? Yes, yes and no. I mean, um, Lisa Wilkinson was amazing. Um, the fact that they took our story on and, you know, really looked at Chris's life because it is such an impressive story, Chris's story. Um, it was a wonderful boost for the project, there's no doubt. Uh, but I do feel like, you know, even then with, with crowdfunding, it's like an entire separate job. You know, you really need like a full-time team yeah. to be running a crowdfunding platform because while we were trying to make the film, you know, no one had time to sort of keep up with social media and all these things. We had such a small crew and um, and so we kind of, you know, we, we, we'd already put up about 95% of the, the budget in the end. Yeah. Um, and so that, that crowdfunding, even though it fell short a couple of times, um, it still helped us get over the line in the end with a, with a little bit of uh, extra extra funding that we needed, you know. And um, I, I have to take my hat off to the, the, the community that got behind us. Um, just, again, just the public um, wanting to see this film, which was, uh, you know, really... I guess that, that's really rewarding as a director. You feel like, okay, well, people want to see this story, which is great. So there's an audience there, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is. It, you really, I think if you're going to go down that crowdfunding, uh, crowdfunding route as a, as a director, as a filmmaker, bear in mind the amount of work it will take to get that off the ground. We were fortunate enough to go through the Australian Cultural Fund, who were really supportive. But if you're going to do sort of Indiegogo and all these sort of things and you're giving away rewards and, you know, people don't often factor in how much it costs to do those things. And then, mm. you know, so we, we didn't really go down that path because I, I knew, I'd heard horror stories in the past of, of people just not having enough money to kind of give those rewards out in the end. And um, so we just kept it, you know, more simple and streamlined. And that, that kind of worked for us. Um, 
but it's a tough one, you know. It's a, it's a real tough one, I'd say. It's a, in terms of which route to go down as a filmmaker. We talk, mentioned Chris uh, a couple of times now, and his background is impressive. Gold medalist uh, in gymnastics. Um, mm. An actor as well, um, like you've said before. Um, the first time I saw him was in Down Under, Abe Forsyth's movie from a couple of years ago. Is that the same time yeah. that you saw him as well? Yeah, so originally the plot um, involved, the, the plot of Kairos was originally like a subplot in another movie that I was writing, um, where, you know, Danny pursues his boxing career, um, hurts, you know, basically an incident happens with the trainer, and it's all about that. Uh, that, that but really it was about a brother that discovers that he has someone, a brother with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. and um, and that whole subplot takes, takes over. When I, when I saw Chris in Down Under uh, at the Sydney Film Festival in 2016, I was like, Oh my god! This guy's stealing every scene. I need to, you know, I need to find this guy and find the community, some other members of the community, and transform the story a little bit here. Because, and then after I met him through Ruckus, which is a that they also appear in the film, they're a disability-led uh, performance group. I realised that I needed to um, incorporate that wonderful group into the film, and it just worked perfectly with what I was trying to achieve, and it ended up it ended up that that subplot became the main plot uh, because Chris is just such a compelling actor. Um, and, yeah, I just thought this is really what I'm going for here. You know, the, the true meaning of why I was making this project became clear after my time with Ruckus. There are yeah. s- scenes in the movie involving Danny uh, where, say, he'll be on a, a train or in the boxing gym, etc., and then he, and he'll encounter... Um, discrimination, whether intentional or not, um, towards his appearance, towards who he is as a person. Um, when it comes to those kind of scenes, is that inspired by Chris himself and other members of the cast? Are they sharing stories like this to you and then you are adding them to the screenplay to add a little further um, authenticity um, to, the, to the movie? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I wrote those scenes myself um, based on some of the conversations that I'd had with parents and, and with the um, individuals themselves. Um, but it actually came in a, in a way, in a weird way, from my own experiences. I, I think I identify myself uh, very strongly with Danny um, as an outsider in a way. And mm-hmm. this film is about outsiders. You know, it's really about how do we embrace who we truly are? How do we, how do we love ourselves and not have to prove ourselves to try and be anyone else in this community when all the world wants us to be is somebody else? I mean, I'm, as I said, I'm, I've got a Lebanese background. I grew up, you know, with a. I grew up in a fairly tolerant, you know, community, but I did. I did have my fair share of uh, prejudice, and I did have my, particularly when major events were happening across the world that involved people of Middle Eastern appearance and background. Uh, that didn't help either. The train rides, the train looks. You know, I mean, I still remember after those major events getting those looks on the train. And uh, and uh, and so I found the commonality uh, between myself and uh, a lot of the people that have disabilities who are just being looked at, purely judged on 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 on, on who they are as, in terms of the physical appearance rather than who they are as people. And um, and they're beautiful anyway. But it's just that I think society has such a misunderstanding of the community um, that they tend to sort of uh, you know see what they don't understand. You know and. This film is the aim of this film is to sort of break down that stereotype and you know undermine the stereotype, I guess, uh, 
of what it means to be a person with Down syndrome and have relationships and have friendships and have goals and dreams um, because often they're not given that that uh, space in, in mainstream cinema. Um, the film majority of the time is set within a boxing gym. I attend a boxing gym myself, and they're really interesting places. And just like any other place, a lot of times it depends on the people, in this case the owners or the trainers, the culture that they set within those places, how their fighters respond to any type of situation. And um, in the case of the character of John, um, who you said before played by Jerome Pride, such a great job in it, how do you want people to take him as a as a character, as a person? Is he a bad man? Is he a sad man? Is it all up to interpretation? Um, when you wrote that character, what was the the thing that you wanted to share with him in particular? Um, that in especially in regards to the environment that he's in of the boxing gym, did it also have to do with ego? Because I found that ego was a really ego and pride are two really big parts yeah. of the story, both by Danny's and and John's part as well. Exactly, exactly. You're right. Yeah, spot on with that. Um, but you know, I wanted to demonstrate that also. Danny had a had an ego as well, and 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 that was important because I didn't want to portray him as this sort of like perfect, you know, angelic uh, human being that you know was without flaws. And and by and large, I also didn't want to. Uh, by the same token, I didn't want to portray John that way either. Um, I, I just you know I don't see the world in black and white. I see the world is just basically you know, grey, you know, different shades of it, really. And John is not a, you know, the best antagonists I think I've ever seen in films are the ones that do play with our expectations and challenge, you know, how we feel about them and, our, and, our, and challenge our loyalties and our, and our ideas about the world. Um, they're not clear-cut, you know, archetypes. They've, they've got, they've got uh, contradictions within them. And that was really important for me, that, that John was a person that the audience both understood what he was going through, but also, you know, at the same time, you know, were troubled and concerned by some of the actions that he took. Um, I think when you understand where characters come from, that empathy, it does, you know, it does start, you start to play that bit, a bit of tug of war with the, the emotions, and that is the stuff that keeps us engaged as audiences, rather than sort of making it, okay, this is the bad guy and this is the good guy. You know, Danny himself does things in the film that are... Uh, you know, questionable as well. Um, you know, uh, and and that that was important. That that they both are very similar men. Really, they're kind of reflections of each other, um, and they both share similar similar problems that struggle with how they're perceived. Um, yeah. Cairo's had its world premiere at the Tortillo Millennio Film Festival in Rome, and um, this is an interesting film festival because this was sponsored by the Pontifical Council for Culture. It was born from an idea from Pope John Paul II. Um, when you get an invite to attend something like that and to, <laughs> and to also uh, do so well there as well, what's, what's that reaction like to have your film premiere in Rome in the film festival that's practically backed by the Catholic Church? I mean, that's got to be something uh, that's, uh, that hardly, I don't think I've had anyone uh, that I spoke to had even filmmakers of uh, faith-based films haven't had that kind of uh, that uh, kind of. Uh, uh, um, a spotlight put on him from, from the church in that way. What was that like for you uh, to have that happen? Yeah, it was a really surreal moment for me. Um, I mean, we'd sent a rough cut early on to Venice and it didn't have any music or the colour wasn't finished and the, there were some scenes you know, missing. And um, I just kind of wanted to gauge, uh, you know, the response, first of all, to see whether or not we'd get in, into that. And I didn't hear anything. And then about a month later, 
one of the selectors from Venice called me and said, um, look, I, I saw your film. Um, you know, uh, obviously I loved it. Uh, it wasn't complete. Have you finished it? And I was like, yes. And he goes, I'd love you. Uh, I'd love it. We could invite you to this thing that I run in, you know, and organizing Rome. Um, because he was responsible, I think, for giving out the Robert Bresson Award at Venice, which is about films that have a sort of spiritual component. And, and I was like, oh, okay, uh, this is interesting. So we, we had to make a kind of decision there and then as to whether or not we'd participate in this. And it was actually an interfaith, intercultural um, event. So they had people from all over the world come to judge these films that they selected, which dealt with, you know, the human journey and, the spirit, the human spirit, basically. And um, Kairos, you know, we, we managed to finish it by then. They end up premi- premiering it in, next to the Fontana de Trevi in like the Sala Trevi, which is uh, the film heritage centre of Italy. Mm-hmm. And when you go downstairs, the cinema is basically surrounded by ruins, you know, outside. And we're kind of like, we're just like, it was the most bizarre moment. I remember just sitting there like, you know, in this ancient city watching Kairos, uh and um, and they, they loved it, you know. They they kind of um, were really enamoured by the, the 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 film and and by the performances and very overwhelming emotional response. Uh, and they really understood what we were going for. And uh, so yeah, to get that sort of validation was was, was really great and um, a very special moment in my life. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I don't think I ever dreamed of sort of ending up somewhere in the middle of Rome. You know. Um, uh, showing the film needs, needs some ruins. <laughs> it's an extraordinary experience. Yeah, I mean the, the write-up that they gave you was just incredible. And, and just bear with me for a moment. I just want to share this with my listeners. Um, so pretty much the f- film festival jury there in Rome said Kairos undermines the stereotype of Down syndrome as a physical, mental, psychological, relational, and social limit. But Kairos also shows us the different levels of love and friendship with all the distortions that human weakness brings with it. Finally, the film reveals to us how one can love one's neighbour only by loving oneself first. The true existential strength lies in the courage to be faithful to one's values and visions, to accept defeats and learn from them, in self-love that leads to evolve, to redeem oneself, to improve, and to be a good example of life for others. Paul, mate, I don't think you can ever find a review or a write-up that's going to beat that. I mean, if a DVD cover or a poster could be uh, like two meters long, you got to slap that thing on there because that's just fantastic. But not only fantastic, but I think it really does hit the crux of what your film does. So uh, you, you I, mean, I, I don't know if that's the first time you heard that. I'm sure you maybe heard it before or read it before, but yeah, that's yeah. just fantastic. Uh, we were just, I remember we read that and we were, we were in tears when we got back to Australia. It was just like, we just couldn't believe that... Um, they got what we were going for. I mean, I couldn't have articulated what we were trying to do, you know, as well as, as, as how they summed it up. Um, and I remember, um, you know, that meant a lot to Chris and it meant a lot to the cast and the crew. Yeah. Um, we were a small crew, you know, I, I basically, I'm a, I'm a teacher of film. I, I, you know, teach at film schools and stuff. And a lot of the, uh, some of the crew were former students of mine. And, uh, so it was a real tight knit family, real, you know, a real, um, a real wonderful uh, bond it was created on that set, and uh, so for us it was more than a movie. You know what I mean? So it was just this really special experience to be part of, and uh, you know to be seeing it travel this far. And you know we were in uh, Melbourne and got in the top ten in Melbourne, which was that blew us away down there. And then and then we in, in, and then we were in St. Louis and then uh, Mexico and 
all these other places. It was kind of like a really amazing um, response um, to, to, to what I think is a really important story. You know, I really hope that people get out there and support it and see it. Well, I thought the film was terrific as well, and I encourage everyone out there listening, Kairos, out today in Australia, uh, check out your local cinema, go watch it. It's a fantastic film. It's an important film, and Paul, I thank you very much for your time today, and once again, once again congratulations with the film. Thanks, mate. And just a quick one, it's just www.kairosthemovie.com. That's where they'll find links to the, uh, the cinemas that are showing across Australia. Excellent. Thank you very much awesome. again, Paul. Thanks again. Thanks. Bye.